New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting David Bedrick, and he's the author of Talking Back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology. David, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Mm, Thank you, Justine. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. Well, let's just talk. Why did you pick on Dr. Phil, this TV star that Mm -hmm. does psychology with different guests Mm -hmm. that he has on his program? Why did you use use him? You know that voice that you have in your head that most of us have in, in our heads? Oh, I'm too sensitive. Oh, I should be more disciplined. Oh, I'm a procrastinator. Oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm angry. These are all like self-diagnoses and they almost never work. They usually make us feel bad about ourselves. They don't really have psychological understanding. They, they act like they do, but they don't. Dr. Phil shows something like that on his show. He says to people, what are you thinking? How's that working for you? As if we could diagnose ourselves in a simple word or two, and then because we now understand it, we could change it. So he shows that, and I wanted to use him as a straw man to say that kind of psychology is not very deep. So, like, if if we're on his show and we say, oh, I'm really a procrastinator, then what he or he or, or people like him would uh, want to then um, cure me of my procrastination. Is, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Oh, you're a procrastinator. Let me help you start projects earlier. Let me help you balance projects out through a period of time so that they're easy and you don't have to wait to the last minute. All of that assumes something really interesting about the procrastinator, that what they're doing is not meaningful. Well, I'm I'm thinking, all right, as you were talking, I was just thinking, clutter, you know, I mean, that's one of mine. I mean, like, you know, I work in a mess, I must say, and every once in a while, I'll try and clean it up. And sometimes I've even hired someone to come in and show me how to do all these systems. And, and yet, you know, my desk is piled. It, it just, I don't know how it happened. It go, it happens overnight when I'm asleep, you know, it, I, so so if, if, why is it that we don't, we can't just cure ourselves of something when we know that it would be maybe better to work in a less cluttered, in my case, cluttered right. space? This is the assumption. The, the, we, the way we practice psychology is, is, is exactly the way you're describing. Oh, I need, an, I need anti-clutter medication. Right? Yes. I need anti-clutter therapist. I need a disciplined person. I need an anti-clutter human being consultant. All these kinds of things. Interesting not very psychological. When you said, I'm a clutterer, you lit up. Your, yeah. <laughs> your face was lit up. You were smiling. You were laughing. I think something she loves about all this clutter. I don't know what it is, but I sure better find out about it and go in deeper enough. Otherwise, I'm going to be fighting something about your nature. What makes you so happy about being a mess? Well, <laughs> yeah, right. What, what does? I mean, I can remember I did hire someone, and she came in and just something about the containment of her energy offended me. I love it. She came in and she was very quiet and circumspect. She was dressed very um, 
uncluttered. I mean, you look at me, yeah. I'm, I'm cluttered. I've got jewelry on and mm-hmm. earrings on and scarves and, you know, feathers in my hair. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I even dress cluttered, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's something, mm-hmm. I, and she showed me all these great techniques for uncluttering myself. But even if she was there, I could just feel myself saying, no, I, this is no fun. Great. And so... So great. You have a natural resistance to this thing. If, if people could see that Justine, when she talks about this clutter expert, she makes her hands go up and down as if they were making like slices or a box. And then when she talks about her being a free clutterer person, her hands are out and open and waving in the air, and she looks like a happy, expressive human being. You're a happy, expressive human being. I don't know about clutter, but putting you in too tight a box, not going to be so good for you. You already have a resistance to that. If we were to play with that, I would say, Justine, you should really clean up your desk. This is not going to work for you. And I would let you say something. If you were free, what would you say back to me? You're a mess. Look at your hair. Look at your, <laughs> right. look at your earrings. You have too many things on. Clean up your wardrobe right. today. Right, right. <laughs> what I'd say to mm-hmm. you is like, okay, wait a minute. I really can find everything I need, and um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's color, it's, it's, I don't know, what, what, what can I say about it? My, I'm just trying to think about my desk. It just mm. makes me smile, David. Yes. It just makes me smile. Mm. It's got books over here. Mm. It, it's like... I can I can be attracted to a lot of different things mm-hmm. in in any one period of time. And here are my books over here, and here are my CD music over here, mm-hmm. and here's uh, all my pins. My pins are all these different colors. I mean, even right now, I have like three different color pins I can see them. with me. You <laughs> know, yellow, choices, purple, and a red. Choices. I don't know. That's yes, this, like, is, this is the celebration of your nature. You're a radio host, among other things. So you're having all these different people that you're interested in. This is a part of the beauty of you. I'm here. I'm seeing now the colorfulness of you in how you interview me and all the other people you interview and how you draw people out of all different colors and sizes. This is your nature. Could you clean up your desk? Maybe. But not at the expense of squelching all that round celebration of the variety and diversity of life that we can't take out of you. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me, David, let's say, I know that one of the aspects of your work, you work with dreams. And w- tell me, what are the importance of dreams? Mm-hmm. Dreams, oh, there's so much we could say about dreams. It's yes. too exciting for me. Let me say one thing about dreams. At least I'll try. One thing about dreams is dreams show all the things that we don't show during our normal life, our waking life. That means things that we don't show that I try not to show. Ooh, I don't want you to see I'm nervous. I want to look like a confident person today. So my nervousness, I push aside. I marginalize it. But then in my dream, you see nervous children or something like that, or a flower or grass shaking in the wind or something like that, or certain trees. But then there are things that I don't know about that I also uh, push aside. I don't, I don't feel angry at the moment. I'm not trying to get that to go away. I just don't. But then I start wondering, is there any anger in me? Let's say there is some. In the moment, I start thinking, oh, sometimes I'm very self-critical. It's like an angriness I have towards myself. Huh, I didn't think of that until I just 
thought about. That would be right. unconscious. So in the dreams, all the things that we consciously or unconsciously have and push away, they show up there. Those are part of our wholeness. If we don't bring them in, live them, express them, celebrate them, they will find a way in. They'll make a mess for me. <laughs> I'll get into a fight with someone. How did right. I get into a fight? Right. I'll meet somebody that I get scared of. I'll find somebody who's scared of me and they'll be nervous. Right. All those things will show up in my life in a way that's not so easy to deal with. Well, David, do you feel like we need to remember our dreams and then kind of work with them and interpret them? Do you, is that important? Or can we let them roll on their own and, and they're doing some work on their own? Great. It's a diversity issue like your colored pens. Some people love to work on dreams and they ought to do that in and write them down and remember them and it's a beautiful practice like journaling or something only now my journaling is connected to material that I might not only be aware of talk about write about those things those people those that I don't know in the dreams and some people it's not that way at all the dreams and the dreaming still happens. The Aboriginal says the dreaming is all the time. The dreaming is in your messy desk. It's in the colored pens. It's in the way my shirt is open. It's in my nervousness. It's all. It's in my stomach aches, etc. So the dreaming is all happening all the time. We could always find a way in. I'm thinking too that like for my dreams, I mean, I, I, I can remember my dreams. They're Cecil B. DeMille's uh, productions, and sometimes <laughs> they have full music scores. And for a while, when I was writing them down, I mean, that just took so much time. I mean, to write and write all these details about, uh, he, I don't know, they're just filled with so much. Mm -hmm. Then someone yeah. told me, okay, well, just just do a brief synopsis. Maybe mm -hmm. that would be helpful. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. uh, but then yeah. it wasn't as much fun. But I, I don't know, sometimes I will, if I feel like a dream really sets something, I might write it down. I do mm -hmm. have a dream journal, and mm -hmm. I might once in a while write a dream down now. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Yeah. Getting a snippet. But here's a quick dream analysis. The the fullness of your dreams, the Cecil B. the Mills-ness of your dreams, that's part of you. It's part of the clutter, what you're talking about. You're full. I would say, don't worry about any of the dreams. One thing you say that your dreams have in them is fullness. All kinds of stuff, a big pot of colors and juices and flowers and who knows what and nails and we don't want to leave out hard things all kinds of stuff that's what's in you being a person who has that much inside of her that's what all the dreams have in common that would be a wonderful thing to explore celebrate and appreciate how full a woman you are oh nice nice yeah. thanks for that mm -hmm. and, and you do you do some i've heard like you have a facebook page and mm -hmm. you encourage people to kind of write in yeah. how does that work on Wednesdays I do something called Dream Wednesday I let anybody I don't know most of these people write down a dream and then I make a comment and the reason I do it is when well, people get an interesting little analysis of a dream but I think dreaming should be more public we should have all the stuff that we don't show show and dreams will do that in a relatively safe symbolic form so it allows all the things that we shove under the rug to show up somewhere and we can all say this is i'm also i'm this kind of a person and i'm also a rock that sits by the beach because you can tell that because i have it in my dream mm. so do you think that we do some collective dreaming do you mm. think that there is something to that 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 there is a, like a cultural dream? Yes. Jung certainly thought there was a collective unconscious and that was in our dreams. My own personal 
belief, which I'm some, why am I shy to talk about my personal beliefs? I don't know. But my own personal belief is, is much more connected to Aboriginal dreaming, that the earth herself dreams and that those dreams get filtered through you and I. So there's a comp, on the deepest level, there, there's a common source. So we're all connected to the same dreaming. But then David Bedrick filters it through his background, being a Jewish male who's 57 years old, who studied these kinds of things, who has these kinds of interests, who likes to use his mind, etc., who, who cares about people in a certain way. And then Justine's personality and her fullness filters some of those same dreams. So then we have symbols that are Justine-like. And then you have to learn to be more Justine aspect of nature. I have to learn to be a David aspect of nature. But then underneath all that, there's a common thread. If we go really, really deep into the dream, we'll find each other. We'll find earth. We'll find nature itself. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So in the work that you do, the kind of psychology, does it have a name, David? Process-oriented psychology. Process-oriented psychology. And some people who have heard our work with uh, Arnie Mandel and Amy Mandel, they all, they, they're like really the founders of, of this. Uh, and uh, so in it, and it's a branch of Jungian, but it's its, its own thing. And what what makes it different What than, mm. let's say, uh, mainstream psychology? I mean, yeah. I know mainstream, that's a big subject, but... It, it, yeah. It's process or in psychology looks at people as a piece of nature, an unfolding process, a flowing river, a flower that may be in a seed form. So rather than think, what's wrong with you that you are fat, depressed, angry, addicted, difficult to get along with, what's, rather than look at what's wrong with you, then we look at a person as if something right in the center of their difficulty is a seed that could flower. And if I help that thing flower, not only would that difficulty get easier and more beautiful, the person will also become more themselves. So there's an extra bonus. I don't only get rid of my depression, I become more like myself that the depression was showing. The depression was showing, David, go down into your deep self and into your soul. Don't always be out. That's depression could take me down there and bring that out. So I don't only get rid of something, I become more authentically myself. That's an extra added thing. So in what you're describing as a therapist, as a counselor, you have to keep yourself from being afraid for another person, to be afraid. You know, I mean, I think that a lot of therapists are afraid of people's depression. They, and they want to, like, correct it. They want to, you know, okay, let's, let's take care of this as fast as we can. And what you're saying, you have to be courageous enough to go down into that depression with that person. You better. Otherwise, you'll never know what their depression is hunting for. We'll never understand it. Or if two people come to see me and they're having nasty conflicts and I say, one person, we're going to teach you how to deal with these conflicts. You talk, then you stop, and then you talk, and then you stop, and everybody has to listen. What happens with the fact that they were fiercely upset with each other? I've now pushed that out of the room. I said, I don't want you to bring that here. I want you to use my skill. But if they're really fiercely upset with each other, they're going to leave. No one's taught them what to do with all that fierceness other than contain it. 
Containing is good. I don't want them to hurt each other, but I better figure out what to do with that energy. So if I see a person's fierceness, I could say, let's slow down, but not because I want to contain you. I want to see that fierceness. You have light in your eye. Yeah, I want to cut that person in half. And, and I wouldn't say to please do that. No. And I'd say, go ahead, give me emotion. Show me what it'd be like. And I, they'd say, yeah, I want to cut them in two. One part of them should be there for me, and one part of them should be there for everything else. I'm like, now we're getting somewhere. But I needed to go with that fierceness I put it aside and contain the whole thing to make it polite, correct in some way, I might be helping them, I might not, but I might not be doing psychology. You know, I just have to say this, I wish that I, you were with me and Michael when we sat down with a therapist and we did a sand tray. And, and Michael picked up, I know you don't mind Michael, my sand tray. Hey, Michael. Michael, Michael picked up this this figure, a guy with a baseball mitt that was sitting on a bench. And he put this guy kind of on the side of the sand tray. And he was just kind of looking at the game, kind of maybe he's going to get into the game or maybe not, you know, but he was just sitting on the sidelines with his baseball mitt. And then in the sand tray, I found this volcano. And, you know, it was just spewing out all of this stuff, and I'm putting more stuff to spew out and everything. And that's how I was feeling, like I was just enraged, and I just wanted something to happen. And, and, and Michael was sitting there on the sideline waiting to get in the game, you know, kind of, oh, it's going to be a baseball game, it's going to be fun. Oh, man, and we were in such different places. And the therapist could never... I, I've, I left that that session so unsatisfied. So I, I just, I, 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 Michael and I talked about it. We couldn't get through it because we're in such different places. And if you had been there, I, I don't know what what would you have done with that. I mean, I would have. I mean, because it's a sand tray, I would begin by playing. So I don't know what would be right, but I think. But my first thought is, I would give you something soft to throw, like a grumptious piece of paper or something like something that couldn't hurt anybody. And I'd give Michael. I put Michael as a as a catcher with a mitt, and I'd say. Feel the volcano and throw that. It's a piece of paper. You're not going to hurt yeah. anybody. Or it's a or smurf ball or whatever smurf it is. Ball. We're not, yeah. And then I say, go ahead, feel the volcano. And when you can feel it erupt, toss it. Yeah. And then I have him catch it. And then I say, now do that again and put a sound to it. Rah! Put a word to it. Knock it off. Or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. Right. And then I let him catch it. And then I say, what's it like to do that? Tell me about how you're like this. How come you're not like that more in a relationship? I say, Michael, what's it like to be on the other end? It's easy. I didn't know that her upsetness was really easy for me. I can just sit here and receive. It doesn't take anything to do. This is a way for those yeah. two aspects of yourself to enjoy themselves. And I'm not sure if, if, you, yeah. if I said to do that and you, yeah. and you were like, didn't look satisfied, I'd have to try something else. Yeah. But I'm looking to you to say, is this, a, is this a form that can allow these two people to get along? So this is like a, really a demonstration of this process-oriented psychology. It's not like you have a have the seven um, rules of how it's go, all going to work and here's, here's your prescription and, and go away. But you kind of follow the energy and you let mm -hmm. it take you into unusual places or places that you are maybe unexpected. That's right. The beauty and the difficulty of process-oriented psychology. The difficulty is there's no idea about 
healing or how to get there. You should be this kind of person. This is, this is what a whole person, this is what a healed person, a healed person would be talking, a healed person wouldn't be quiet. I really don't know. It's a diversity model underneath it. That means everything is different. I can't come in and say, I would like to get you to be a certain way. You say I shouldn't be this way, but I'm thinking I really don't know what kind of person you are yet. That's the difficulty. The beauty is you discover amazing things where you would least expect it. You, you see a person who's got a volcano who can deliver a message. You see a person who's detached who can take, take anything anybody has to say easily. I would never have guessed that. I couldn't have had a book that says, find that in people. I could try to make it into a program. Everyone should learn to receive people's <laughs> anger like a catcher. But maybe, but other people shouldn't. Other people should bat the ball back. Some people should run and hide on the couches. No, right. Right? Oh, gosh. David, mm. we could just go mm. on and on and on. I'm just so glad that you mm. were with us today. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank Yay. you. Thank you, Justine. Thank you, Michael, for your, yeah. for your presence. Presence, yeah. right. Um, I've been here with David Bedrick, and he spells his name B-E-D-R-I-C-K, David Bedrick. And he's the author, Talking Back to Dr. Phil, Alternatives to Mainstream Psychology. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, talkingbacktodrphil.com. And Dr. Phil is D-R-P-H-I-L, drphil.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you to join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.